Well, this is episode number 135 of the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. And it will certainly be a radical new direction for this show, at least in this season of my life. I am recording the introduction to this episode right here on Monday, July 26th, 2021. And since October of last year, and it actually started a little bit before then, I may get into that one day, and it may come out in the episode you're about ready to hear and the ones following this. But in the past year, I've experienced what I have been calling the a, a spiritual reawakening, returning to my first love. And I'm super excited to share this with you in this podcast. I've been sharing it ever since last year with members of my community that are a part of something called the Train with Cliff audio program. In fact, this episode, in just a moment, you're about ready to hear, I'm going to be sharing with you what I have been sharing over the past year as my faith journey updates within that particular program. By the way, if you want to learn more about that program, you can at trainwithcliff.com. It's a podcast where I share everything behind the scenes, personally and professionally, with those who are super eager to learn about all the stuff that is behind the curtain. So if you want to learn more, trainwithcliff.com. But I've felt inspired to take all of the episodes of my faith journey from the Train With Cliff audio program and put them here in the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. Now, I'm looking at episode 134, and I see that I recorded that episode on September 9th, 2015, which is almost six years ago. But I promise you, it's not going to be six years before the next episode, uh, because already there's 14 episodes of the Faith Journey updates, and I want to share those with you here in the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. And these will be coming out pretty much as quickly as I'm able to release them because I do want to record something at the front of these episodes each time, which takes a little bit of production time and stuff like that. And that has to fit in with all of my other priorities. But the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast is back. And what you are about ready to hear I I can tell you right now what is to follow in this podcast. I never could have anticipated when I recorded what you're about ready to listen to. The original episode was titled something like, let me see if I can find that. This episode was episode number 218 of the Train with Cliff audio program. I recorded it on October Let me just get that right. I recorded this October 7th, 2020. And it was something like going down the rabbit hole of philosophy. 
And I'm not gonna set it up any more than that other than to just go ahead and play this for you. And what I will tell you is that as I release this episode and the 13 or four, actually I can think of a, a 14th episode after this one because I'm going to take an episode out of the Cliff Ravenscraft show and put it in here as well. I'm going to release all of my faith-based focused content that I've been producing uh, over this past year. I'm going to put all of it here in the Cliff EOT, or in the EOTC podcast, the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. But I will tell you that. This, this episode and the 14 episodes that follow it, some who listen will question whether or not Cliff is even a Christian anymore. And to that, I'm not so concerned. Otherwise, I wouldn't be releasing this information and this this insights, these insights that I've been experiencing uh, over this past year. But what I can tell you is that for me to ask myself that question Am I still a Christian after all that I've been through? And I can say wholeheartedly, yes, I am still a Christian. I will go into more detail about what I mean by that at some point in the future, but I can just tell you that I am super excited to share with you what I'm experiencing, not as a prescription for you, but as a description of what my relationship with God has been and is right now. And as it changes and evolves and as I learn new things and I realize some things that I perceived wrongly, I'll come and share those things as well. What I can tell you is that the first 134 episodes of this podcast have always been just that, me authentically sharing my relationship with Christ. And I plan to continue that process. And I'm excited to bring back the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast. So sit back, enjoy this. Uh, It is a one hour and 17 minute podcast episode where I shared with the Train with Cliff Audio program subscribers uh, my my first entry into the world of philosophy, the, the rabbit hole of philosophy. And I went way deep into this rabbit hole, and I'm still digging around down here. It's awesome. I'm loving it. And you're going to be invited, if you'd like to, to go on this journey with me. So without any further ado, here's that episode now. I want to talk to you about the rabbit hole that I have gone down recently. (laughs) I am getting deeper and deeper into a fascination with the study of philosophy, and specifically world religion. I grew up here in the United States in the Bible belt, if you will. I don't know technically, you know, if there's a geographic set of states in the United States that's considered the Bible belt, but Regardless, the influence of the Bible Belt, the the Protestant Christian world is what I've grown up in. And inside of the Protestant Christian world, there are multiple sects. Uh, There are super fundamentalist Christians. There are liberal Christians. There are Christians who base their entire philosophy and theology based upon John Wesley, that's the Wesleyan-Arminian theology arm of Protestant Christianity. There are 
the uh, the Lutheran followers, and, and so there's an entire branch of Lutherans. There is, oh gosh, what was the other one? The Reformed Christian Church is, uh, anyway, needless to say, there's been a lot of conflicting discourse about what is true and what is not true about God, our relationship with God, and all sorts of other things. And I will tell you that, by the way, this is going to be a very faith-based episode of the Train With Cliff audio program. This is another audio journal update, and I'm going to be talking about random stuff with my own faith journey. Now, I am not going to give you a background of my faith journey. I've done that a number of times in conversations with people, and I can tell you right now, just to give you an overview of my faith journey, much in the way that I recently gave an overview of my financial journey, my faith journey would take there there would need to be like a five or ten part audio series where each episode was between one to three hours. That's what it would take for me to share my faith journey with you. I think the one person on this planet who's ever received the fullest expression of my faith journey was a man or is a man named Phil Mershon. He works with social media examiner, uh, Michael Stelzner. He's the main guy behind all of the planning side and, and the experience of social media marketing world. And he and I were at Blog World many years ago, and he says, Cliff, I'd love to talk to you more about your faith. I'm fascinated by something I heard you say. And he was fascinated by the fact that um, he had learned, he had discovered that I had given up on traditional performance-based Christianity and the institution and all of the things that I had been taught to believe and, and stuff like that. And, and he was like, I don't know if his thought was that he was going to try to uh, win me back over to the the light side. <laughs> I don't know if he was trying to convert me back into the, you know, the the more accepted path of Christianity, or if he was just genuinely curious. But uh, what happened was he invited me to chat with him. He, he, he wanted to, to hear more about why is it that I would stop, quote unquote, doing this thing called going to church, which is a decision Stephanie and I made. I think it was September 2011 is when that happened. I could look it up, but it's not an essential uh, part of the story here. So I'm just giving a little background of of where I've shared my 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 journey in the past, and and uh, so Phil and I we were sitting in a restaurant that had this beautiful view of Times Square. We were literally at the Grand Marquis Marriott on Times Square, overlooking Times Square, and it was just the most surreal uh, uh, view of the city. And I think we both had many. Uh, commitments and meetings throughout that day. And so we didn't meet each other until like 11 p.m. I said, Phil, as as long as you're okay with meeting at 11 o'clock at night or 11.30 at night, I'm totally fine if you're fine. He says, that works for me. And so we met in this little bar slash restaurant and it was already late at night. And so he, he says, so tell me more about your decision to no longer attend church. 
Thus began me sharing my journey of faith. And uh, it was four, three and a half or four and a half hours later, we, I, I, I filled him in. <laughs> and Phil had to take, I think it was at least one bathroom break in hearing the story. Very, I, I, Phil just sat in, in, like, in awe of all that I was sharing. There wasn't a lot of conversation. This is, he, he clearly asked, I said, and I, and I, I paused. I said, Phil, do you want to say anything? Do you, is this too much? Are you ready to call it a night? I mean, I could stop here. We can pick this up another time or if I've bored you. He goes, Cliff, keep going. And so, uh, Phil Mershon probably is the one person that has received like the fullest version that I could give of of my faith journey. And who knows? Maybe one day I will I will record my faith journey. But I, I'm, that's not what I feel led to do now. Needless to say, though, actually, no. What I need to say is that I've had an incredible faith journey, one that I am so incredibly thankful for. And I have had a deeper, more profound relationship with God and Jesus and a life that is more in alignment with what I've read in the scriptures throughout my lifetime. My life has been more in alignment with the life that I felt created to live by my creator, more since I made the decision to completely abandon performance-based Christianity and institutionalized churchianity. Now, I'm not going to go too far into describing all of that stuff. Uh, again, that's not my purpose here today. But what I will say is that when I, I from a, the time I was a kid, I've always had a sincere desire to know God and not burn in hell. <laughs> I've always had a sincere desire to know God and to not burn in hell. And 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 I'm going to I'm just going to leave it at that because that that will that that would <laughs> that might be the title of the book I write one day. So I will just fast forward and tell you that that Throughout my young, you know, my childhood desire to follow God, I, I soaked up anything and everything anybody could tell me about what it was. As a as this eighteen year old guy, I it's just like almost all of a sudden my world was changed. I was in high school and 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 everybody thought I'd be the next Billy Graham. That's that's what everybody joked about. And then i I walked away from my relationship with God, at least I thought I did, which is ridiculous now that I think about it. It's impossible to do. But um it, when I was in college, I walked away from it, came back to it when I met Stephanie and decided I wanted to live my life with her for the for all eternity and and or at least for this earthbound journey that we're on. And I wanted to do it in the only way that I knew that that I felt called to do it, and that is a life devoted to to living up to my identity in Christ. So, I, yeah, and so I, I made that commitment, and then what happened is somewhere along the way, I gave up a relationship with God, and I had exchanged it for three separate relationships. So I used to, I, I would argue 
that from the time I was a child, I had a passionate, loving, amazing relationship with my creator. But I exchanged that for a period of time, or at least I, in, in my conscious mind, I exchanged it. And I re- exchanged it for three other relationships. And here are the three relationships that I exchanged it for. I exchanged it for a relationship with the institution of the church. I became more, conv- I, I became more, uh, gosh, what's the word? Radical? No, not radical. Obsessed with is not the word I'm looking for. I, 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 zealous. Thank you. I became more zealous and had more zeal for living up to the commitment of the institution. Oh, I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday and Wednesday night, and for a year and a half, I never missed a single service, and this is how much I read, you know, this, this is what I did. I have always volunteered for this, and I did this, and I had such a zeal for church, and I'm not the, not the church as what the ecclesia is, or the body of Christ, the, the people that, that follow, but the, the actual uh, institution, the, you know, the, the gathering, the local gathering, the people, the political agreements among one another, the power structure, uh, the, the, the Christian country club. But I mean, if you can allow me to just describe it in my own view of the world today without it offending you too much, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm right about anything that I'm about ready to tell you. I'm just expressing my, my, my feelings at this point. But what happened is, is I gave up a relation, I, I, for a period of time, consciously in my mind, not knowing it until afterwards, but I, I had lost my zeal for God directly, and instead I put the institution of the country club of Christian uh, community, local gathering, I put that as a mediator between my relationship with God, meaning that uh, this is one of those relationships. My relationship with the church, if it was good, then I felt God was happy and and was loving and and that my life would be blessed. But if I did something to offend or upset the leaders of the church, I let them down. I didn't live up to a commitment. I wasn't fully sacrificing and being a part of everything that I felt that I should be a part of in this institution. If I ever if I felt like I failed the institution, then God was upset with me and therefore I would receive punishment in my life. And, and if something went bad, I, I, I looked immediately, where am I falling short in my relationship with the church? Now, was all of this conscious, like, did I think in these words and this language? No, this, this is just a reflection of what I can tell you it was. I, I mean, this is accurate to my thing, but I didn't have this language back then. I, I have it very clearly today because it, it, hindsight is twenty twenty. I, I, I Gosh, it's so clear. And I see it in so many people's lives. And, and stuff like that. And I don't judge anybody for the go, their participation in the local country clubs of Christianity I, and, and stuff like that. I, there, there might have been a couple of weeks where I felt very judgmental of it, but and then I realized, like, listen, that we're, on a, we're all on a journey to, to knowing God. And, and I can tell you right now, uh, even in my—there there were very many benefits of my time— invested in the relationship with the church 
that w- that pro- brought about brought about great spiritual formation or relationship formation and an, a deeper understanding of God. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't a direct relationship with God. It was there was an intermediary. Uh, so that that's one of the relationships. The second relationship was information about a God, about God. So I do I know God or do I have a relationship with information about God? And this was, uh, I'm just going to say it, my compulsion to study the Bible. And the Bible, in, in some ways, became my God, instead of God being my God. I, I There's, uh, there's a, uh, some arguments that could be made that the Bible is the Word of God, which I do not believe. I believe that the Bible is divinely inspired by God, and it tells the story of God, but I believe that Jesus is the Word of God, and that, that um, and, and boy, does that bring about a whole new line of thinking for me based upon this rabbit hole that I'm going down. But I, I believe that Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word is God, uh, and He was with God in, in the beginning, and, and the Word was with God in the beginning. So the Word wasn't the Bible. The Word was Jesus. And and so, anyway, um, but I was conditioned to believe that for me to have a good, solid relationship with God, that meant that I had to have a commitment to the Bible, reading it, uh, uh, you know, devotional time, prayer, you know, all of this stuff. It, it's, it's information about God. You just need to soak this up. You need to study it. You need to live by it, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll get into the live by it part, but just you need to study it. You need to, how many hours this week have you spent reading your Bible? In fact, still today, a lot of people, there are two real big questions that many Christians want to know about Cliff Ravenscraft. And ultimately, at some point, in a deepening relationship, they may ask me one of two questions. Number one is, what church do you go to? And there's many are shocked to learn that I don't attend any of those and have not since September 2011. And another thing that they that they might get around to asking me is about my routines and stuff like that and with all the things that I'm doing uh, how, where do you where do you fit in reading the Bible and and what's your routine and ritual for f- making sure that you're always getting into the Word of God? And I I answer I don't I probably devoted about maybe three or four hours reading the Bible and since September 2011, and and I don't feel guilty about that at all. And the reason why I don't feel guilty about that at all is because I'm more interested in living by what I've read and understood uh, than I am learning new things that I don't yet understand in the Bible. And I, and there's a lot that I know. Psalm one nineteen eleven. By the way, all of this is off the top of my head. There's I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There is for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but live in eternity. There is, see to it, Hebrews 3, 12 through, uh, 3, 
9 through 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another as long as it is called today. We have come together to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. There's Ecclesiastes something, two are better than one. Uh, if it for, um, let's see here, if one falls down, the other can help him up. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the number of scriptures that I have memorized that I still could, I could just, I, I'm consciously aware of these scriptures and subconsciously they're a part of what makes me who I am. And so I've already, I've already ingested and incorporated and made up so much of who I am based upon what I've learned about God through the scriptures and and yet have not mastered that why why should I feel compelled and obligated to read more and more every single day when I haven't put into practice the things that I already know ah and and so and and not to mention that well I'll, I'll get there but anyway so I don't I don't feel obligated or compelled to read the Bible every day and and I I would say well what happened to all of the Christians uh, from the time of Jesus's resurrection uh, all the way up until the the mass printing of the Bible through the printing press did did those what about those Christians who never had a Bible not because they couldn't afford one but but because one didn't exist. What about before the peop- the the men who decided what books are canon and should be bound together and distributed as what we know as the 66 books of the Bible or more if you're in the Catholic persuasion of all of this stuff. Regardless the that Bible didn't exist and so did those people not have a good relationship with it. So I got rid of that. I had that relationship with the information about God, and and if I if I spent time, gosh, there was a year. I called it the year of providence. And man, if if I devoted at least one to three hours a morning every morning, I'm like, my life is going to be blessed. And God is God and I are on great terms. But boy, if I skipped for a couple of days, and and eventually, it's been a week and a half since I've opened up the Bible. Then I felt guilty, and I felt um, that there was a wall between God and I, and he'd be angry with me, and and that would explain some of the terrible things that might come my way. God's punishing me for not being more faithful to reading the Bible. And so uh, that was a second one. And then a third relationship I had was a moral code of conduct. If I'm good, God will love me, and my life will be blessed. If I'm bad, God will be angry at me, and he will punish me. Uh, and what does it mean to be good? Well, that means that am I faithfully doing the things that I know God wants me to do? That's good. Am I faithfully avoiding and not doing the things he doesn't want me to do? That's good. But if I'm doing the opposite, if I'm not doing the things that I feel like I should be doing, or if I'm definitely doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing, then then that's going to be a determining factor in how my relationship with God is and whether I'm going to be blessed or punished. And that, my friends, is the pure definition in my mind of performance-based Christianity. And then I, I, I became wise to the absolute awesomeness of grace. Unmerited, unearned favor of God. 
and and God's through some miraculous conversations with some amazing people and and through divine inspiration and and just a connection in my soul I realized and I became free and this was if it was September 2011 that I that I broke up with all three of those relationships and said, God, I think you're just, I I think you're enough. I think you are enough. And I place all of myself to you. And I I break up with churchianity. I break up with uh, replacing a connection with you with, uh, by, by sufficing with information about you. That's not to say that I'm not going to be connected to other believers, because for, see to it, brothers, that none, that uh, me, uh, that you encourage one another even more. See that you do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but do so even more as you see the day approaching. See, that's another scripture that's like deep inside of my soul. So I, I'm not saying that I've given up on being a member of the church. I am the member of the church, and I connect on a consistent basis on a much deeper level with other people within the church. I just don't do it on a weekly basis in these things called church services. Um, I don't study the scriptures, but by golly, I, I, I live out the scriptures and have conversations with myself and with others about scriptural principles all of the time, all of the time. I have, uh, I, a very good working knowledge of both the Old and New Testament. Not perfect. There's more that I can learn, and and I will. But I I haven't felt that draw to do that as of late. So I haven't. But I have deepening. I have been deepening my relationship with my my God. And as far as a moral code of conduct, I gave up trying to be good. <laughs> I I gave up trying to do it all. Uh, I, it's not required of me. Now that's that's not to say that I don't live a good life and that I I I I am very happy with my life. Is my life perfect? No. Are there things that that I do that God probably would like me not to do? Yes. Um it, absolutely. Are there some things that I probably should do that I'm not doing? From time to time the answer to that question is yes. Do I think that God is angry with me at all? Nope. My sins are as far from the east as from the west. My all of my sins, past, present, future, all of them, they're 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 no longer they're they're I'm I'm covered. So uh, the great news is that it's taken the pressure off, and as the pressure is off, my desire to do good is out of my love and respect for God. And when I do the good things that I do, I do it because I love him, not because I'm afraid of his punishment. And and that's changed everything for me. So that's a little background for you. What by the way, what is the other one? It, it gosh, it's it's so there's Lutheran, the, the the three branches that I've been influenced by the most was Lutheran theology. Uh, Wesleyan Arminian, which I went way when I was involved in official ministry, I was I was taught the Wesleyan Arminian way through the Nazarene Church, and of course then I was taught oh Calvin John John Calvin uh, the Calvinists, and I was taught that the Calvinists were the heathen and, and stuff like that. So um, and and very much in the Baptist background, but I, I think Baptist probably is is in one of those three. Anyway. Uh, I can tell you right now, 
I, I don't consider myself to be a Calvinist or a Wesleyan or a Lutheran, or I, I consider myself to be me, Cliff Ravenscraft. I consider me to be a child of God, a, a, one who has been created in the image of God, and and that that's who I am. I'm a, I'm I'm a I am I am a child of God. I am yeah I am a son of God, and so yeah I, I I don't I don't necessarily adhere to any one branch of Christianity's creeds, and I used to feel that was essential, and it's no longer essential for me, and has not been for some time. So the rabbit hole that I speak of, I've been reading a book. Gosh, I it, I don't even know how long. It's it's been many weeks now since I've purchased and and have been reading this book called The Autobiography of a Yogi. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it here in the uh, Train with Cliff Audio program a couple times. Uh, favorite book of Steve Jobs is how I learned about it, and the the devotion of Steve Job to Jobs to this book, you know, reading it as a teenager, going to India as a result of it, reading it again when he was in D- India, uh, Steve Jobs then coming back and reading this book once a year, every year for the rest of his life, um, and and not only that, but then also making sure that, that I think there was a time when he bought. Uh, a, a copy of he made sure that every employee of Apple at one point in time had a copy of an autobiography of a yogi. And then when Steve Jobs knew he was dying, he made sure that every person who he invited to his memorial service, because he actually planned his entire memorial service, every single person there was gifted a a a hardback copy of an autobiography of a yogi. So. Steve Jobs was radically profoundly impacted by this story. And I'm like, okay, so what's this book about? And I got to tell you, it's been a very long time since I have felt what I, it's been since the early days of reading the Bible that I felt the kinds of things that I'm feeling when I read this book. Now, this book is filled with all sorts of what we would call super, or what I would call supernatural miraculous events. There are stories about gurus who have the powers to materialize things, uh, to dematerialize their bodies, to bilocate, which basically means that their physical body can be here, but at the same time, they can show up and have a conversation with somebody in another place. There's astral projection, which is different from bilocation, um, there, I think slightly different anyway, there is telepathic communication, telekinesis, there's the ability to, all sorts of stuff, and, and this book is just filled with this, and I, I gotta tell you, this has introduced me, this book has introduced me, it, it, it's a very great book on how to understand the basics of the the Hinduistic Hindu religion, it's it's vast pass, and and I I gotta tell you it's it's fascinating to me, and it's stuff that I would not have been able to listen to many or re- read many years ago. I would have been too against it. It would it would have 
brushed up way too much against some of the conditioned beliefs I have. And even then, there are so many parts of it that for me, I'm like, you know, I, I, I think I can believe all of these miracles and stuff. There's really nothing in here that I've, that I've heard about in this book that isn't also found in the Bible. And I'm talking about, um, you know, Elijah be call, being called up into the sky or whatever, and there is the manna that rains down from heaven. There's the splitting of the sea. There's the turning of the staff into a snake. There are uh, just countless miraculous supernatural things that are talked about in the Bible. There's the transfiguration on the mount. Uh, there are there's the feeding of the five thousand with just a few loaves and a few fish, and and yet there's still many left over. The, all of those things that are talked about in the scriptures, there really is nothing different in the Bible that isn't also in this book, except for the fact that the Bible is the Bible, and the Bible is God's word, and and anything that's not the Bible obviously can't. Be, be you know blah 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 all that other stuff I used to just just take for granted as conditioned belief. This is all true, but but man, I gotta tell you this this opens up a whole different way of seeing things. And what's amazing to me is how the Hindu religion, specifically um, the branch of Hindu religion, as taught by Yogananda, who is the author of this autobiography, and how his message and what he felt God had called him to do is to bring the 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 message of yoga uh which by the way where I let me look up definition of yoga because I just recently typed that in here so let me just go in here and type in uh, yoga uh so yoga basically means um Union with the divine. So, how, how, d- yoga. If if I mean yes, there is a there is the there is the practice of yoga that is pretty much mainstream. Like, hey, this is a good workout. This is going to be helping you stretch your body. Blah blah blah. But there's a spiritual aspect of yoga as well. Uh, and and but the whole idea, the what what yoga means at its heart is union with the divine. Uh, the creator, uh, c- connecting with the creator, becoming fully conscious of your relationship with God, and what, it, how, who are you in relationship to God? And you could call it um, enlightenment, is what I'm hearing it called, and and being, uh, you know, th- th- there are many different things that this is called. But anyway. The question is, are you consciously aware of your identity in God? Are you your connection to him? And the Hindu philosophy of thousands and thousands and thousands of years of of this religion is unity with God in that we're all one and that we are connected with God. And in essence, uh, we God is we're we're not necessarily separate from God. We are in God. We are of God. We are, and, and it's, I struggle to say this out loud right now, maybe once on, maybe as far as we are God. Ooh, now that one, I, I, I still struggle with that, but that's what I'm hearing in, in this. But the, the one thing that's interesting about Yogananda and his guru, uh, Lahiri Mahashai, 
anyway, and Babaji, is that Yogananda's like, this form, this branch of the Hindu religion says, listen, we are here to understand the universality of the faith. There is one God. And and there is no separateness from us. We are all one, and 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 that is this whole idea of universalism. And of course, I've heard that preached against over and over again. And how, oh my gosh, this this goes against you know Jesus being the only way to God, and and all this other stuff. And and I got to tell you, so far I've not found in myself uh, anything inherently evil. I've been praying for discernment as I go through this. I do believe in one scripture, there is neither height nor death, angel nor demon, nothing in all creation, nor any other Hindu religion that can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now, I can tell you that there is some stuff that, that is open for me to evaluate even deeper, and that is 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 Jesus a man or is it Christ consciousness and that that's a new new path to thinking about things and interpret things in a whole different way and and that's where i see some people saying well okay there's the slippery slope and boy is he going to slide <laughs> you know what hey i'm i'm not trying to to tell you that i'm right but what i can tell you is that this i made a commitment at the beginning of this year I had many goals going into 2020, and my number one goal, uh, well, first of all, my number one goal was, uh, as at least number one meaning the in the order that I wrote them, fully committed to experiencing peace, love, joy, and abundance on a daily basis regardless of any external forces or circumstances. By the way, that is the first step of Kriya Yoga. All right, so that that, and and I was onto this path a year ago, which is a year, at least a year before I started reading this book. I've already been on the path of Kriya Yoga, or the Kriya path to the, my divine union with God. I've been on this path. I, I I've been able to be in control and experience joy, and and there be joyful always. And again, I say rejoice. Uh, be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. That I've been on that path. And so, yeah, so that was my goal number one. Number two, my second stated goal for 2020, I am fully committed to knowing and trusting my creator in a more intimate way. And boy, has that being fulfilled in a powerful way. And I believe that that's happening through the insights that I'm getting from this book. And I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. And of course, I've been studying a lot about quantum physics and all sorts of other things. And yeah, it, it, it's fascinating what I'm hearing about the how our world is made up. Uh, I, I've talked a little bit, maybe in passing, and I, of course, I, I'm not sure what I've talked with you about and what I've shared with like close friends like Ray Edwards and and, and very few other people that I've had deep conversations with about some of this stuff. But the, the whole idea of, of having an understanding of what this world is that you and I live in, and, and you know, 
there was Elon Musk that talks about, hey, is this world, is it nothing more than a simulation? What the, I saw something, of course, I don't know how many statistics are made up on, on the internet, but if you see, but one in three scientists, they say, uh, says that there, one in th- there's a one-third chance that we're all living inside of a simula- simulation. And if you don't know what that's all about, go go Google it. <laughs> Welcome to the rabbit hole. But anyway, the the question is, what is a simulation and what is this world that we live in? And there's so much that is starting to fall into place. And it, it, it makes a lot more logical sense when I begin to evaluate the things that quantum the study of quantum physics is explaining with science today that the Hindu religion has been teaching for thousands of years and has been using. Now, here's the thing. The Hindu gurus were using um, radio and telepathy and and all this other stuff way before the Marconi and Tesla were learning how to use electromagnetism and and wavelengths and frequency and energy to wirelessly transmit things from one area to another. But uh, this stuff was fully known by gurus for thousands of years, and only today are we starting to have logical explanations for these things. But what I want to do is I I just want to share with you, there is a story in here. This comes from... Uh, chapter 34 in the book Autobiography of Yogi. It's Materializing a, pa- a Palace in the Himalayas. Uh, Babaji is the uh, the deathless guru, is what he's called. And it's his first meeting with Lahiri Mahashai. Mahashai? Mahashai? Uh, Mahashia. Anyway, Lahiri and Babaji, they meet for the first time, and what happened was a telegram's come, he's called out to the Himalayan mountains, and there, Lahiri, you have come, the saint addressed me affectionately in Hindi, rest here in this cave, it was I who called you, Um, and I entered a neat little grotto, contained several woolen blankets and a few uh, water pots, uh, do you remember this seat? And basically, uh, Babaji says, "Listen, you, you have reincarnate, reincarnated. I knew you in a you were one of my students in a past life." And uh, and then he touched his his head, and and then instantly he remembered his past life, and and all this stuff. And so you could read all about this stuff if you wanted to, and believe it for what it is. It it I I'm not tied to any of this stuff here, but. Um, then, as I maintained a bewildered, bewildered silence, uh, the saint approached and struck me gently on the forehead. So that's when he opened up his eye. Uh, you slipped away and disappeared into the tumultuous place. Okay, so my guru, I'm looking for this place in here. My solitary come brother. With, okay, okay, come. So basically, a, a, there was a servant there, and it says, my solitary musings were interrupted by the sound of approaching foot, footsteps. In the darkness, a man's hand gently helped me to my feet and gave me some dry clothing. Come, brother, my companion said. The master awaits. He led the way through the forest. As we came to a turn in the path, the somber night was suddenly lit by a steady luminosity in the distance. Can that be the sunrise, I required? Surely the whole night has not passed. The hour is midnight, my guide laughed softly. 
Yonder light is the glow of a golden palace, materialized here tonight by the peerless Babaji. In the dim past, you once expressed your desire or a desire to enjoy the beauties of a palace. Our master is now satisfying you with that wish, thus freeing you from the last bond of your karma, which, by the way, I have a whole lot more understanding of what karma is and stuff like that now that I've, I've read through this. I had really messed up ideas of what karma was. But anyway, he added, the magnificent palace will be the scene of your initiation into Kriya Yoga. All your brothers here join in a uh, paean of let's see, uh, paean of welcome, rejoicing at the end of your exile. Behold, before us stood a vast palace of dazzling gold, ornated, uh, ornamented with countless jewels, set amid landscaped gardens, reflections in tranquil, uh, reflected in tranquil, tranquil pools. A spectacle of unparalleled grandeur. Towering archways were intricately inlaid with great diamonds, sapphires, and emeralds. Men of angelic countenance were stationed by gates redly reticent with rubies. I followed my companion into a spacious reception hall. The odors, the ins... uh, Anyway... The odors, the incense of, okay, so the odors of, it's spelled O-D-O-U-R-S. Anyway, incense and roses waft the scent of, let's just say that, the scent of incense and roses wafted through the air. Dim lamps shed a multicolored glow. Small groups of devotees, some fair, some dark-skinned, chanted softly or sat silently in the meditative posture, immersed in inner peace. A vibrant joy pervaded the atmosphere. Feast your eyes. Enjoy the artistic splendors of this palace, for it has been brought into being solely for your honor, my guide remarked, smiling sympathetically as I exclaimed in wonder. Brother, I said, the beauty of this structure surpasses the bounds of human imagination. Please explain to me the mystery of its origin." I will gladly enlighten you. My companion's dark dark eyes sparkled with wisdom. There is nothing inexplicable about this materialization. The whole cosmos, listen to this. I have all of this underlined and highlighted. The whole cosmos is a projected thought of the creator. The heavenly clod of the earth floating in space is a dream of God's. He made all things out of his mind even as man in his dream consciousness reproduces and vivifies a creation with its creatures. The Lord first formed the earth as an idea. He quickened it. Atomic energy and then matter came into being. He coordinated earth atoms into a solid sphere. All of its molecules are held together by the will of God. When he withdraws his will, all earth atoms will be transformed back into energy. Atomic energy will return to its source, which is consciousness. The earth idea will disappear from objectivity. The substance of, of a dream is held in materialis- materialization by the subconscious thought of the dreamer. 
by the way, I, I thought about this. It's like, this is true. I've, I have dreams all the time, and I live in a world that I've created with my subconscious mind, and then I wake up, it goes away, it disappears. Anyway, he says, the substance of a dream is held in materialization by the subconscious thought of the dreamer. When that cohesive thought is withdrawn in wakefulness, the dream and its elements dissolve. A man closes his eyes and erects a dream a dream creation in which, on awakening, he effortlessly dematerializes, which I think, anyway, it, it says the same thing twice. But anyway, he follows the divinic archetypal, archetypal pattern, uh, which basically we are created in the image of creation and we have the gift of creation is what is basically being said. Similarly, when he awakes in the cosmic consciousness... He effortlessly dematerializes the illusion of the com- cosmic dream universe. By the way, what this this world that you and I are in right now is what is dis- described as Maya, which is the cosmic illusion that that we are all in a dream created by God. Everything that is is today, everything that's here, it's all energy and matter being held together by the will of God. Our, our body is made up of energy and matter. It, it, it's vibrating at different frequencies. This is all starting to make way more sense than anything that I've ever seen as possible before, and it, and it gets a little mind-altering and mind-bending, and I've heard some people that get into this stuff, they start to have very existential crisis moments. I do not. I, I'm like, oh my God. Gosh, this explains so much. Anyway, in tune with the infinite, all-accomplishing will, Babaji is able Babaji is able to command the elemental atoms to combine and manifest themselves in any form. The golden palace instantaneously brought was brought into being is that was brought into being is real. Well, in the same sense that the earth is real. <laughs> Let me read that again. This golden palace instantaneously brought into being is is real in the same sense that the earth that we are on is real. Babaji created this beautiful mansion out of his mind and is holding its atoms together by the power of will. Even as God's thought created the earth and his will maintains it, he added, when this structure has served its purpose, Babaji will dematerialize it. As I remained silent, in awe, my guide made a sweeping gesture. This shimmering palace, superbly embellished with jewels, had not been built by human effort. Its golden gems were not laboriously mined. It stands solidly, a monumental challenge to man. Whoever realizes himself as a son of God even as Babaji has done, can reach any goal by the infinite powers hidden within him. Okay, now I want you to hear that. Whoever realizes himself as a son of God, even as Babaji has done, can reach any goal or can materialize anything like this palace by the infinite powers that are hidden within you, all right? That's basically what's being said. Get this. It says, a common stone secretly contains stupendous atomic energies. Even so, 
the lowliest mortal on this planet, the lowliest of the low person in existence on this planet is a powerhouse of divinity or divine union with God. They're just not consciously aware of it. So, which is the, ah, uh, so much in here. I, and I know it, it, it's, part of me thinks, you know, okay, should I be sharing this? And of course I'm going to share. This is a part of my journey. This is what I'm, this is where I'm going. This is, this is a fulfillment, I believe, of my, of the second stated goal for 2020, um, to be, to know my creator in a more intimate way. So I'm going to fast forward here. Lahiri, uh, Lahiri, you are hungry, Babaji added. Close your eyes. Oh, by the way, before I get there, whoever realizes himself as the son of God, even as Babaji has done, uh, can reach any goal by the infinite powers hidden within him. Now, okay, I understand the the fundamental Christian way of thinking is that Jesus is the only son of God and Jesus is God. But what if Babaji is also the son of God and is God? What if you are the son of God and are God? What if I am the son of God? And I got to tell you, I've heard this as, as being a part of what Hindu religion people think and feel and believe, and it's universalism and we are one and, and all of that stuff. And, and I got to tell you, I've been conditioned to believe this stuff is evil, and it's demonic and all this other stuff. And I'm just not convinced of that anymore. And maybe you might argue and say, oh, see, this is what happens when you stop going to church and you stop getting preached, you know, the truth of the Bible on a daily basis. This is what happens. See, and, and you know, and by the way, if, if, if what I'm saying upsets you, offends you, angers you, and stuff like that, feel free to go ahead and unsubscribe to this. I mean, this, I'm, if you can't handle me authentically sharing my journey, this is what I'm, this is my journey. But I, I tell you, I, I've always had a sincere desire to know my creator. I've always had a sincere desire to know God, to understand my relationship with God, to to be pleasing to God, to understand my identity and my purpose. Who am I and why am I here? And I got to tell you, I don't believe that any one person has all of those answers. So, um, but anyway, so what? But what about this? What if? What if I was to replace this? Would it feel whoever realizes himself as a son of God, even as Jesus has done, can reach any goal by the infinite powers hidden within him? Well, you might be able to accept that a little bit more than the the first statement, even as Babaji has done. Well, except for the fact that you still might get hung up. I was still hung up on, well, no, Jesus is the son of God. I am not. Except for I'm, I'm okay with saying I'm a child of God. I've never had a problem with saying I'm a child of God and God is in me. But wait a second. I'm the son of God and child of God are the same thing. Okay. Except for the thing that I am God. Oh, that's where I had the disconnect. That's where I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. Except for I'm not saying that I am God. 
but I am created in the image of God. I am a part of God. I am a created thing of God, and I am not separate from God. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm coming to understand, that God is in me and I am in God. And here's what, this whole thing, he who realizes himself as a son of God, even as Jesus had done, can reach any goal by the infinite powers hidden within him. This reminds me of what Jesus said. Jesus. Matter of fact, let me see if I can find my my notes on this one. And actually, I, I'm just going to go to my my thread with uh, Ray because uh, let's see here. This is Mark 11:23 and 24 in the Bible. Uh, Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, "Go, throw yourself into the sea," and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, or basically in communication with your divine union to God, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. If you could tell a mountain to throw itself into the sea, you could tell the mountain to dematerialize from one place and rematerialize in another is what Jesus said. Now, um, let's see here. Is there another place where I also got this? Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, here it is. I think. Let me... What the heck was that? Um, So... Oh, here's another one. And this, believe me when I say, this is Jesus, by the way. This is John 14, 11 through 14. Uh, Jesus said, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going back to the Father. I am leaving the the cosmic illusion. Uh, I and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Uh, for we are one. Jesus, we as a Christian, Christ is in me. Um, he, he and I are one. We're connected. I, it's, he says, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. All right? You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. All right? So, there, there's... <laughs> Not too, not too many Christians uh, get a sermon on Sunday morning that says, "Hey, when was the last time you told a mountain to throw it yourself, throw itself into the sea, and it happened? That you can do this, that you have this power." The reality is, is that most of us don't understand how this world works and how that would be possible. And the one thing that this book has reminded me of is the amazing crazy number of miraculous events that are taking place in the Bible. You know, the, the matter of fact, there, the, the, do you have the ability to heal yourself and stuff like that? Which, by the way, I still am challenged by the, the fact that there are some things that we can, that we find ourselves having the faith to do and we don't have the faith to do. And sometimes is it the lack of faith or is it other reasons? But yeah, you know, I, so, I mean, if, if I really have all this power, why can't I just pray for a friend of mine who's really struggling right now and then instantly have him not have to deal with that? I haven't worked all that stuff out, but 
What I can tell you is this goes back to a lot of things I was sharing in the Think and Grow Rich is that the things that you absolutely set in your heart, you can make happen. Um, and, and, and it reminds me of, was it the woman who had uh, experienced significant, I think it was she was experiencing ongoing female problems or whatever, but she had experiencing ongoing physical ailment. And she went and she says, said to herself, her belief was, if I could even just touch the cloak of Jesus, I would be healed. And then she did. She made her way through the crowd, and she touched, and 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 a a, a power, a, a, a healing energy through the cosmos, and there's no separateness from the anything. Healed her right then and there, and Jesus, like, hey, who just touched me? I this there was there is a transfer now. Did Jesus know or did he not know? But the reality is, is like, listen, go, your faith has healed you. And the question is like, well, that's because he touched Jesus. See, Jesus had the power. Well, the, the power, we're all, there is no separateness in the universe. Everything is all one. It's all connected. It's all energy. It's all vibrating at different frequencies, held together by the will of God. And all of the, it, it, it's, I'm telling you, I'm down a really deep rabbit hole and I'm starting to see things in a way that I've never seen them before. And I realize how scary this is going to sound to my cr- fundamental Christian friends, but I'm okay with that. So here's what I will say is that there was the centurion or what somebody, his son was sick and went to Jesus and he says, you know, hey, go, you're, 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 you'll find that your son lives, you know, and, and, and so it's, 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 it's your, but it's your faith. It is your faith that has healed you. It is your belief in the divine union and ability of God to to reorganize the molecules and matter and everything else. It, it, ah, I don't know how I can explain all the explosion of insight that's happened recently. Um, anyway, so I'm going to continue forward. And it, it, so basically, later on, it says, Lahiri, you are hungry, Babaji added, close your eyes. He says, when I reopened them, the enchanting palace and its gardens had disappeared. My own body and the forms of Babaji and his disciples were all now seated on the bare ground at the exact site of the vanished palace, not far from the sunlit entrances of the rocky grottoes. I recalled that my guide had remarked that the palace would be dematerialized, its its captive atoms released into the thought essences from which they had sprung. Although stunned, I looked trustingly at my guru. I knew not what to expect on the next on this next day of miracles. The purpose of the palace which was created has now been served, Babaji explained. He lifted the earthen he lifted an earthen vessel from the ground. Put your hand in there and receive whatever food you desire. Uh, I touched the broad, empty bowl, hot, buttered curry, and sweet meats appeared. As I ate them, I noticed that the bowl remained ever filled, which, by the way, reminds me of the time when Jesus fed the 5,000 or the thousands with just a few fish and a few loaves, and there was still plenty left over. Anyway, at the end of the meal, I looked around for water. My guru pointed to the bowl before me, and the food had vanished, and now it was water. And now it's in place was water. He says, few mortals, 
Know that the kingdom of God includes the kingdom of mundane fulfillments, Babaji observed. The divine realm extends to the earthly, but the latter illusory or illusory uh, in nature does not contain the essence of reality. Anyway, there's it's a whole lot deeper than that, and I could go into it, but anyway, um, I'm just looking at the other things here. Oh, here it says, a deep purpose underlie, this, I'm skipping a little further ahead, a deep purpose underlie the fact that you did not meet me this time until you were already a married man uh, with modest family and business and responsibilities. You must put aside your thoughts of joining your secret band, of our secret band in the Himalayas. Your life lies amid the city crowd, serving as an example of the ideal yogi householder. The cries of many bewildered worldly men and women have not fallen unheard on the ears of the great ones, he went on. You have been chosen to bring spiritual solace through Kriya Yoga to, and, and Kriya is a method of divine union, of becoming divinely united with God, uh, but Kriya Yoga to numerous earnest seekers, the millions who are encumbered by family ties and heavy worldly duties will take new heart from you, a householder like themselves, you should guide them to understand the highest yogic attainments or divine divine union abilities, if you will. Uh, these are not barred to the family man. Even in the world, the yogi who, f- or the one, anyone, the one who wants to be divinely united, uh, the faithful, uh, the divine, the yogi who faithfully discharges his responsibilities without personal motive or attachment treads this, the sure path of enlightenment. Anyway, and, and one little thing here that I really resonated with, he says, from your balanced life, they will understand that liberation is dependent on inner rather than outer renunciations. All right, so it's 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 all in the inner game. It's not what they're doing on the external. See, this is this is not about you know a, a moral code of conduct of the things that you're doing in the outside world. It's what what are you doing in the inner world? And remember, I told you, I, it, I for over a year now, I, there's been something going on in my life where internally I've accepted peace, joy, love, and abundance on a daily basis based upon my divine union with my creator. And that's, I, I don't need anything in this physical world. I could lose it all. And and yes, that includes my closest friends, relatives, family, whatever. I could lose all of my money. I, you could take every my physical health. And I know that's all easy to say in theory, but I, I tell you, some pretty significant things have happened over this past year. And yes, there was a little bit of challenge, but I did the inner work, and, and I will tell you some pretty amazing things have come as a result of it. So much in this book. Um, it, there. Oh, man. I, every morning I've been getting up, going to the gym, and for about three or four hours I sit here and I read the autobiography of a yogi, which I'm almost finished with. And then I'm going to read um, The Holy Silent, uh, I think it's called The Holy Science uh, from Sir Sri Yukteswar, which is the uh, yogi, the uh, yogi of, or the, gosh, guru of Yogananda. So 
yeah, so Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, wrote a book called The Holy Science, uh, which is basically the science of, of the world and, and stuff like that and religion. And I also ordered a book called, um, and, and it, it sounds freaky, the title of it, but The Second Coming of Christ. Uh, and what it is, is Yogananda has a two-volume set, which is a commentary on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the Bible, but where the commentary is an explain, you know, it's his commentary from a Hindu perspective of te- the teachings of Jesus. And so, yeah, rabbit hole, my friend, deep down in it. <laughs> and I'm I'm not afraid. I I seriously I, I don't feel like I'm I'm being led astray by denom, de, demonic demonic or demons. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm being led astray. I feel I feel a, a, a great sense of peace in my relationship with Christ. Um, there there is there is a a potential evaluation, some a distinction of of what does it mean to be to be Christ. There there is some there are there are some there are some challenging things to the way that I was taught to believe. Uh, growing up, but what I can tell you is is that as I'm evaluating these things, I I just don't feel that sense of I, I'm being led astray. I really don't. If anything, I feel a a, a deeper connection and a magnet a magnetic pull from God saying, "Hey, you say you want to know me in an intimate, more intimate way. Are you are?" Can can you handle this? That and, and and what what's happened is I feel like I can. And so, am I going down this spiritual path of these what I used to call spiritual nut jobs? Uh, is am I heading down towards a path of enlightenment? Uh, I have no idea, or maybe I do have an idea. I I don't know. I don't know where this will lead. Is this a passing fancy? Will this be something that I I study for a couple months and then you know I I move on and don't do anything else with it? I I don't know. I I, I doubt that very seriously. But uh, and then one last thing that I'll share, and then I'm gonna get off here because it's eight thirty in the evening on Wednesday, October seventh, and I want to go watch the vice presidential debate here in a little bit. Uh, but anyway. I will say this, I have also been fascinated by the works of Alan Watts, all right? Alan Watts, uh, let me see if I can go and find the Wikipedia article on Alan Watts so I can read to you a a description of who this guy is. Alan Watts, and I'll just Google that and it'll pull me up on, okay, so here it is. Um, Yeah, let's see here. He, so... He was born in 1915, uh, and he died in 1973 at age 58, which, by the way, I was born in 1973, so he died um, a couple months after, actually, it looks like about 11, about 10 months after I was born, or is that 11? Anyway, um, here it is. Alan Wilson Watts was a British writer and speaker known for interpreting and popularizing Buddhism, Taoism, and Hinduism for a Western audience. Uh, born in Chislehurst, England, he moved to the United States in 1938 and began Zen training in New York. He 
received a master's degree in theology from Seabury Western Theological Seminary and became an Episcopal priest in 1945. He left the ministry in 1950 and moved to California, where he joined the faculty of the American Academy of Asian Studies. Watts gained a following while working as a volunteer programmer at a radio station in Berkeley. He wrote more than 25 books and articles on religion and philosophy, introducing the emerging hippie counterculture to the way of Zen in 1957, one of the first best-selling books on Buddhism. In Psychotherapy, East and West, a book written in 1961, he argued that Buddhism could be thought of as a form of psychotherapy. He considered Nature, Man, and Woman, a book written in 1958, to be, from a literary point of view, the best book I've ever written. He also explored human consciousness and psychedelics in work and works such as The New Alchemy and The Joyous Cosmi- Cosmology. Anyway, there you can read a lot more about Alan Watts. I used, I've known about Alan Watts for many years. I've heard little things here and there, and I've been very drawn to some of his quotes that, that certainly had already fit, fit in alignment with a lot of my beliefs, such as, you know, what, uh, what do you desire and following your dreams and stuff like that. But then he would start talking about some of these things that were so counter to what I was conditioned to believe. And he started talking about all these things that seemed to be Buddhist and Hinduist and all this other stuff, which, uh, by the way, I've, I've, I now have a very clear understanding of the difference between Hinduism and Buddhism. I'm starting to learn about Taoism and uh, Stoicism. I am deep, 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 deep. I'm studying three to eight hours a day. Three to eight hours a day, every day, seven days a week in this stuff. Loving every minute of it. Anyway, so I've I've been really drawn to Alan Watts, and I've been listening to a YouTube channel. Uh, it's Alan Watts Organization, and they do a 24-7 live stream, at least right now it's going on, and it's uh, very rare recordings of Alan Watts, and it's promotion of the digitization of many of his lectures and talks. So if I went to Alan Watts organization, alanwatts.org, you can go there and there's a thing where it says um, you can go to his audio and you can you can buy uh, his audio recordings. And so let me see if I can find this here. So shop, uh, I'm looking at it. There we go. P- purchase Alan Watts audio. So they have all of these audio albums and you can buy... Uh, for example, there's an audio series called The Self. There's an audio series called Eastern and Western Zen. Uh, there is um, Contemporary Philosophy, uh, one on Buddhism. And these are all like $24 or $48 a piece. Or you can get the uh, Alan Watts Essential Lectures Collection, which is $100, which compl- uh, which has what you know a very large selection of the individual albums listed at the bottom of the site. There's the Eastern Wisdom Collection, which is uh, another collection of those, a different set of... Or there's the Extended Seminars. And so the first two are $100 each, and the second one is $200. Um, and Or at the very top of the page, you can get the works of Alan Watts. It says, welcome to the home of, let's see, the home of the audio works of Alan Watts. 
a collection of 200 talks. It's actually 253, by the way, at least as of Wednesday, October 7th. Uh, 200 talks, uh, 253 talks recorded between 1958 and 1973 of Alan Walk, uh, Watts' public lectures and his live seminar sessions. Below, you will find a complete listing of the talks organized by collections and their individual albums. For those who want to hear it all, we're offering the opportunity to buy all of the talks we currently offer by Alan Watts. All talks are available for instant download in MP3 format. I gladly handed over $380 in certificates of appreciation. And and this whole idea of quantum physics is something I've been studying for more than a year. And the idea that everything is energy and matter. It, It is energy and matter, and it's vibrating at different frequencies. It's starting to really start to come. I I get it. I understand it. And um, of course, I just read from the autobiography of a yogi where uh, it talked about the fact that God holds together the these things in, in, by the power of his will, the energy vibrating at certain things. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play for you a little bit of Alan Watts describing something. So check this out. There's a Buddhist word, klesha, in Sanskrit, bono in Japanese, that uh, we normally translate attachment or defiling passion. The exact translation of klesha in modern American is hang-up. It's a perfect word for it, to have a hang-up. So to be hung up on a fixed way of looking at things, that um, the world is only uh, divided in this way and that way and the other way, is to fail to see what I've been describing then as the going togetherness, the inseparability of all insides from all outsides and vice versa, and of all organisms from their environments and vice versa. You can get this very clearly when you realize that if you get hung up on the viewpoint of separateness, then even your body is not a unity. You are just a mass of cells. And if then you take in physics, you're not even cells, you're molecules. Not even molecules, just atoms. Not even atoms, just subatomic particles, wavicles or whatever. And you disintegrate everything into that, and you realize that there are vast spaces between all these tiny little winglets, whatever they are, wavicles. Huge spaces. I mean, if a molecule in your body was magnified to the size of a tennis ball, the nearest one would be quite a way away. Well, what ties all this together? You know, How can you look at that as a unity? Well, it's tied together by space. Fields of force, gravitation. So in exactly the same way, look at us behaving around here from a larger level of magnification. You can very easily see that um, we are just as tied together as the molecules in our hands. Now, if you were to go back and replay that a couple of times, it, I don't know, maybe, maybe it stood out to you as clear as day right when you heard it the first time, um, or maybe, maybe it may be a while before it makes sense, or maybe it'll never make sense, I don't know, but uh, it's just that I, the way that God has led me down a path of curiosity, of 
first learning about energy, electricity, and then quantum physics, and and just everything else that has led me to where now I'm reading these books and it's explaining things in from this perspective. Um, mind blown, rabbit hole of philosophy. That's what I wanted to share with you this week, and I'm I'm just I am loving life more than ever before. I'm at more peace than I've ever been before, more joy than I've ever had before, uh, an overwhelming sense of the abundance than ever before, and I'm in awe. Every Everything is a miracle. The fact that you're able to hear my voice, is, it is a miracle. Uh, I Yes, that's what I wanted to share with you. Until next time, my friend, I encourage you to follow your heart and and to seek to know our creator and 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 to discern your identity so that you can fully embrace it and become all that you are meant to be here on this great cosmic illusionary life that we live. <laughs> Until next time my friend, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Well, there you go. That was the episode I shared, The Rabbit Hole of Philosophy, uh, recorded back on October 7th, 2020. And I will be back soon here in the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast to share with you the next installment of this journey that I've had over this past year. Until next time, oh, if you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out my main podcast, The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Just look for Cliff Ravenscraft in your favorite podcast directory. That is my main podcast. I do have a premium subscriber podcast called The Train with Cliff Audio Program for everybody who wants to get behind the scenes details of what's going on in my life, not just personally and spiritually, but also professionally, the decisions I make in my business. For $10 a month, you get thousands of dollars worth of insights uh, over at trainwithcliff.com. And of course, Stephanie and I are also back to creating content for our Family from the Heart podcast, familyfromtheheart.com. And I encourage you to keep your eyes open over at gspn.tv, the Generally Speaking Production Network. That's uh, being fired back up. Lots of shows are being revived. New shows have been launched. Lots of exciting things are happening. So gspn.tv, not .com, but gspn.tv. Anyway, until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Mindset and demand.